0: is raving around your music. You know you're doing something right. And that is exactly what Ezra Furman is doing. In her amazing punk career, she is carrying the flag for punk rock, not only in America, but in Europe, specifically in England, where she has an amazing following. Ezra has done a super, super great career journey, starting in Boston in her dorm room in the university, taking all the way to her first project at Ezra Furman and the Harpoons and eventually she went solo where she's rocking out venues across the world now. Pre-corona, of course. If you have a chance to watch her once this virus thing is over and we're allowed to, you know, gather and rock and roll, you owe it to yourself to see her. She is a ball of energy on stage. It's a trailblazing ball of fire that reminds you of Little Richard, of Prince, Elton John, you name it. Colorful with a punching the gut of rock and roll, Ezra Furman has completely led the current movement of punk rock. Currently, her latest project, she is uh, doing the soundtrack and collaborating really profoundly with Sex Education, uh, Netflix's hit show that just came out with season two. Really recommend you check her music out, not only on the show, but in your favorite, favorite streaming profiles. And ladies and gentlemen, we welcome... Ever Furman to the J Rock Concerts podcast. I can hear you. All right. Yeah, that's good enough for now, Ezra. Well, great. Thank you so much for, for, for joining us. Uh, how's everything, Ezra? Uh, first of all, you know, let's start. How have the past two plus months
1: been for you? Um, that's a big question. For, um, <laughs> it sure is. I don't know. You know, they're just a, it's kind of like the rest of life. Terrible and wonderful. Yeah. Extreme. Totally yes. great and horrible. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> certainly. Where have you been spending place. it? Have
0: you have, have you been spending it in in in, uh, in 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 Chicago where you grew up, or in Boston, in Los Angeles? What have you been up to?
1: In Boston. I'm 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 at in my Boston. home in Somerville, Massachusetts, the Boston area.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That's great. Well, thank you for updating us. I appreciate it. Um, I, I want to I talk to you a little bit about your career, finishing with, uh, with the new Netflix show and, uh, and how you have collaborating with them. But I did want to ask, go back to the beginning a little bit, if that's right with you. I want to ask you about your brother, Jonah. He was the lead singer in a popular band, Krill, as well. So it made me, first of all, wonder, did you guys grow up in a musical family? Like, what was that like? Um, was there family in the blood, a music family in the blood?
1: We um no, I I kind of started that. I mean, yeah, I mean, my parents liked music, <laughs> but they didn't play music. My mom sang a bit. My dad has a terrible sense of pitch, but <laughs> we sing some. No, but I I I brought the first musical instrument into the house, really. Okay. I mean, I guess we did a little bit of... My older brother played trombone for a second. I played clarinet, but we weren't really into it. That was like when I was 10 years old or something. And then um, I started playing guitar when I was 13. And um, I'm not sure. My parents were surprised. And I wasn't... I I don't think I'm very... um, musical myself uh interesting by inclination Uh, yeah i my brother jonah is much more interested in music itself than i am i i i'm interested in music now more but (laughs) it's it's kind of funny i i know it sounds crazy what i'm saying but i guess i mean music like the music part of music rather than the like words and the cultural import of it. Like I'm interested in songs and presentation of lyrics and the character that's performing it and like the human um, and verbal element. And the music, like I would, I used to never ever listen to instrumental music it was boring to me because I didn't, I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in music as a way of writing and talking sure. to people. Um, okay. That's- so I, I just, I think I, I was like really into writing stories and writing poems and all, all kinds of writing. And it was, songwriting that really stuck and i was very bad at playing guitar and singing for many years i'm not great at it yeah now. so
0: you're not like you know traditionally trained you just you know you push through it you know with your influences and your songwriting and your drive and now you've you've just yeah. going to there where like you know i i th- we we think you're really good but i understand your your standards and, um, all right, Ezra, well, th- that's great. So you started playing when you were 13, and then we kind of move on a little bit to your first, to your first uh, project, which was Ezra, of course, and the, Ezra Furman and the Harpoons. Um, you recorded part of your debut album in college dorms, if I'm not mistaken, at Tufts in Boston. Uh, how was that experience like? You know, I mean, I, I say it as a previously college student with DRA and the dorms and the tight spaces. Mm. How was that experience like?
1: Well, what we did, we we made an album uh, all we recorded it all in in dorms in a couple of dorm rooms and uh that album has like didn't come out those recordings aren't like released released you know we had we made cdrs of them and brought them on tour but when we made our actual album for a label we made the whole thing in a
0: yeah
1: uh recording studio in chicago but it was sort of like redoing our dorm room album in a recording studio, mostly we we changed a couple songs out, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Recording. I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I was lucky to have some friends who played instruments and, and were into recording and making recordings in their dorm room. My friend, uh, John Sood, who was the first guitarist for the Harpoons, he would record. He always had his microphone and everything set up in his bedroom so that even if somebody just came in and started, like if I came across the hall to his room, which was across the hall from my room, and I started playing something to show him some new thing I made up, he would just press two buttons and we were making a recording, you know, so. uh that's good. You gotta, you gotta make sure you don't work late into the night or anything. <laughs> people are trying to yeah,
0: yeah, study and to, to sleep. study. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating. That's fascinating, Ezra. Okay, so you mentioned your first album, and then for Moonface, which was your second album with them, I believe. Um, I mm. thought this was an interesting tidbit. Yeah. Uh, people who who fans fans who helped you uh, with the album uh you could you would write a song for them uh what a great idea how did this come about what do you have, do you have any passages that's that struck every memory what a great way to build a connection with your fans
1: well it, it wasn't actually actually our second album it was sort of an album between our second and third albums after our gotcha. second album but uh yeah i just I felt it was like a short little album of some little other recordings we had made over time that didn't, you know, I just felt like they weren't good enough for our proper albums. And, uh, we didn't have a label just then. So we just put out our own little B sides compilation, but I was like, well, what makes this like worth it? What makes it worth buying? And I was like, well, I could, add uh you could ask me to write a song. I felt at that time I wrote so many songs I didn't even know what to write about. So I just wanted to um ask the audience <laughs> what they wanted me to write about. Which uh sounded like a interesting idea to me and turned out to be kind of a bad idea as I learned because <laughs> you know very I I, I it was like two hundred people ordered Taylor made songs and I was like I'm gonna do all of these <laughs> so for the next like year and a half whenever I had any free time I was supposed to be doing that and uh it made me feel like a I don't know like a machine like it, it, it took some of the yeah I, I think my mistake was to care so much to add, to look to the audience for what I should be writing about you know you really have to look <laughs> into sure. your own soul to get uh, topic because then absolutely yeah I mean like because somebody asked for like write the song about boy meets world the show so I did that you know <laughs> I was like is this really yeah how I should be spending is my this really my creative days, flow you know? <laughs> right. is this my calling <laughs>
0: Yeah, absolutely, that's right. I, I can see, I can see how, you, how you could have felt like that. So I want to move on a little bit to your solo projects, and this was um, basically after 2011. Uh, re- really nice period for you, uh, especially when you released A Year of No Returning. Um, you know, one would never imagine that, you know, part of this was recorded in an attic. Like, Sinking Slow, for example, builds up to such grandeur in such a beautiful way after a calm beginning with that piano bouncy riff, how did you create this sound in the attic? Like, what, you know, what do you remember about this? It, it was really beautifully made.
1: Yeah, well, it was my uh, housemate, Tim Sandusky, who recorded it with me in the attic. The whole thing was made in, in our attic where he lived and had a recording studio up there. And with, with like, um, the roof was low and slanted, you know, it felt like an attic. Um, sure and uh I don't know thinking slow, we did weird stuff like we like we used like a violin bow on a weirdly tuned acoustic guitar. I remember breaking glass in a in a garbage can, and just like weird stuff to make interesting sounds and um uh but that was a special time in a way for me because I had made some records with a band where like, we kind of discuss everything, vote on everything, what songs are on the record and how we do them. And this was just like, I'm going to ask my friend who's got the recording studio to help me make a record. And anything I want, I make all the decisions about it. You yeah. don't have to argue about it. And I think I just, I took to that a lot better because I had by then learned that I did care about music, you know? When we first started our band, I was like, listen, I write the songs, I'll choose the chords, I'll choose the words, anything else you guys can make up. I don't care what you do. I'll just play it how I normally play it and you then the drums kick in, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, after four, four or five years or something, I, I kind of like learned to be an actual musician who had taste.
0: Yeah, um, definitely, yes. No, I can see that and, and, you, and you can definitely tell that you're developing in really profound ways. And um, you know, you've built such a spectacular following overseas, Ezra. I, I can't help but notice you know, you, you know, as popular as you are in here in, in America, and in our country, in, in the UK, in Britain, you're you're huge, and it seems like you followed these steps of Kings of Leon or the Killers of you know stateside bands who, to make it here, they had to make it there, and then they had to make it over here. So I'm wondering how you describe your relationship with England, uh, with with the UK, and uh, and this period of, of uh, of your career.
1: Yeah, well, they somehow they got it what was good about us before the US did, and. Um... Who knows why? I mean, it's um, the UK is like, I don't know, it's the size of a f- it's smaller than Texas, you know? Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's a band can sort of like take the whole country by storm. They've also got national radio. So like some guys Mark started, Riley started playing our music on the radio and everyone in the country was listening to it yeah everyone listens to that station you know it's government radio um yeah it's a different music culture i I think they just like we we were sounding very energetically rock and roll american i feel like they were like this band sounds so american we are like taking influences from 50s rock and roll and stuff. and um, Yeah. Maybe yeah, that's, definitely. that felt more exotic across the pond.
0: Yeah, um, I can see that, Ezra. And actually, you mentioned 50s rock and roll. I want to take a little detour because I know a few years ago when uh, when Chuck Berry passed, you mentioned how big of an influence he was on you. And this past weekend, uh, we lost Little Richard as yeah, well. Yeah, I know. Uh, who you cover... Who you covered in in in, um, in songs by others? Really great cover. So I'm wondering if maybe we can take a second to just talk about Little Richard and what he means for your music and, and and maybe what he means for the um for the for the movements and 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 all that stuff and whatever you want to talk about with Little Richard.
1: I don't know. I mean, something something just got into that guy. <laughs> I mean. I feel like his big breakthrough is just like how how out of your mind you can sound on a record, you know? Just like such a powerful performer. Um yeah, like he he brought more than any like he brought a kind of mania to the to the music. Um I don't know. Some of his records, you play them next to other people's, and you're like, you can barely hear <laughs> um, whoever. But uh, Elvis next to Little Richard, you know, it's just no yeah. comparison in terms of energy. Um, I don't know. I I th- think in a way he like planted a lot of um, un-macho theatrics, like some femininity into into music fans' heads. Um, And some like sex. I mean, I guess Elvis did that a little bit too. I don't know, that's stuff that I, I, I pay I pay attention to how how those records sound so wild and what about them, you know, and the way he sings sort of louder than the microphone was built to handle. And uh the way the drummer <laughs> I don't know. Just like yeah. just like what the band is doing, I study that stuff. Yeah, yeah um
0: your shows are super energetic absolutely it makes complete sense lots of uh lots of passion yeah yeah, i think
1: it was around that time that it was like when we made our record day of the dog which was sort of the first one that people liked in england um i was like i think what i have to offer is like mania manic energy because I had made the Year of No Returning, you know, like you said, Sinking Slow It's very introspective and downbeat and a little depressed. And I was like, I think I, I, I got to make something that feels wild, you know, like yeah. Little Richard feels. And, uh, and I had already discovered that my band that I formed to tour on the Year of No Returning was great at that stuff. We played Please Mr. Postman and stuff. Um, so we had to make like a, a wild rock and roll type record.
0: Yeah, definitely. Esfere. Well, thanks for talking about him. Um, I want to talk to you about transgenic Exodus, which, uh, one of your best records. Um, you talk about, I mean, I love this record because I like, I like to say it's like Lou Reed meets Blade Runner. It's some crazy, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like a beautiful adventure. You know, this person who grows wings, it's, it's a, it's a complete, it, it takes you somewhere. Um, but yeah, for, for some of these songs, for example, the the first one, You Suck the Blood from My Wound, you talk about the tribalism and the uh, you make allegories to Shakespeare. I'm wondering if um, how you've seen this environment change in the past couple of years. Has it gotten worse? You think it's gotten better? Um, you know, a plague on both your houses kind of thing is what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, well... I mean, the, the record I was most concerned with expressing, like, um, fear and solidarity, um, those two things, like, uh, I mean, I was writing about r- running away from home with an angel and escaping a hospital and the hostile government and stuff. and. I mean, I was writing that stuff early in in 2016 and I guess it, I don't know, the world just started to seem more and more unsafe to me. Um, and that was, I think it had something to do with political conversation. Um, and the way that was changing in 2015, 2016. Um, I think it had something to do with me being more like out and looking feminine most of the time, uh, being more known to be gender non conforming and doing it in public and seeing the kind of like precarious place sometimes dangerous place that puts you in. You know, people, strangers, yell at you on the street or threaten you, or you hear about transgender people being murdered and you're like, that could definitely happen to me. So it was both a personal and public sense of feeling threatened and then i kind of just made this guardian angel to protect me you know um i mean i think it was all happening subconsciously all all that writing and um yeah I, I do like that it's got that shakespeare quote in there um i guess like i, I always feel angry when there's like this side and that side, and you're you got to be one or the other. And it's, um, choo- you know, you're asked to choose a side, and the sides are just having a war, and it's like killing people who are never involved. That's how I feel about partisan politics. That's how I feel about yeah. the male female gender binary. Sure, it's just like a fight I never wanted to be a part of,
0: definitely. No, you have a good point. And it seems like we're all being thrown into this and many of us don't want it. And we're just caught with families and with society. And it's, it's creating a bunch of this chaos. So I think you're definitely onto something there. It's,
1: and, it is upsetting that I wished for a plague and now we're in a plague, you know? <laughs> yes.
0: I was going to ask you about that, foreseeing the future, what else you're seeing. But yeah, I want to talk to you really quick about 12, I mean, 12 Nudes and some of this theme to this plague. In 12 Nudes, it's an album really about being emotionally naked. About opening yourself up to vulnerability. It's uh, even though it's your punk album, I think there's so much heart in that album. It's it, it's it's that's the beautiful dichotomy of it. Uh, so yeah. well played, well played. But but yeah, um, do you think that this virus, this Corona epidemic, it's is reassessing people? to be more open once this is over to just the simple pleasure of life? Do you think it's something that's going to stick? Do you think it's something that will, people will forget about? How, how do you see that? Uh...
1: No one's forgetting anything. No one's going to forget about it. I mean, this is... I think this will change the world forever. Uh, I mean, for the rest of our lives, we'll talk about before this and after this, I think. Yeah. I don't, uh-huh. I'm not positive, but... Um, um it's really making a lot of people who were comfortable, uncomfortable. And um it's causing more people to talk about who's vulnerable. Yeah. And it shows the vulnerabilities that more people had than they thought, you know, in our bodies and as well like with our jobs and yeah, healthcare coverage and all this stuff. So uh it 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 is kind of a wake-up call to like you know, maybe our society is not built on strong, safe foundations, um, which I already thought was true. Mm -hmm. Um, And how could you miss it, really, if you notice how many people live in poverty and uh, how many people die because they get sick and they can't pay for healing. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's kind of changing our brains. It's showing us, uh, that it's possible for civilization to mostly grind to a halt, which uh, I wouldn't have, I don't know. I didn't know that that was possible. And now we, now we can see that it, that it was and, and is, and that could be useful information for the future. Uh, I don't know it's 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 hard to say anything smart about it I just like wish it wasn't happening sure sure mm-hmm. and it's interesting you say that I feel like at the beginning
0: like maybe early March people were saying this is going to be the great equalizer right because people in China and Massachusetts all sorts everyone's affected the same but I don't know how you, like, I was going to ask you about it do you think that that's the case or it seems like it's putting the 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 differences more in contrast and widening the gap what do you think
1: Yeah, it's not a great equalizer at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but it is everyone is affected by it. Yeah. Um I guess that's probably what those people meant that like you can't really get away from its effect and um I've never seen anything like this where everyone in the world has the same enemy. Uh Yeah, and I don't know. I can't say anything smart about it except like I just wish it wasn't happening. You can think of yeah. like your silver linings or whatever, but it seems pretty I don't want to talk about silver linings really. I just like wanna hmm. know that I'm safe and the people I love are safe. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I just want to be able to see them and yeah. do my job and um, not run out of money because I can't work, you know, it's mm-hmm. like.
0: Yeah. No, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough period for everybody, sure, Ezra. But, you know, uh, what I mean, you don't want to talk about silver linings. Sure, I'll talk about one. When, while people are at home, they get to enjoy a lot of stuff, a lot of Netflix, a lot of new music, enjoy your music. And one of the things is uh, a lot of people have been, uh, I think Netflix subscription models have gone through the roof, and one of their highlights is, of course, sex education. Uh, Great show, uh, really good show. And it's a show uh, that you are a core part of because uh, your music, the music is a character and just the way you, you help pace it, it's, it's, uh, it's, a really, it's a really great collaboration. How did this collaboration come about, Ezra? Uh, how did you get interested in this project? And what, what have you heard from fans about the, the show and your music?
1: Well, they just asked me to do it. <laughs> um... There's not much of a story. <laughs> uh, they just asked me to do it. Uh, I guess I was around and um, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that I was asked to do it. Uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that it's such a worthwhile show. Um, I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV, really. Um, But in terms of like how TV usually portrays sex and particularly young people having sex, like I've never really seen a show like this. Um, It's like something that people need like some media that shows sex is like not a not not psychotic you know something you can talk about and be healthy about yeah which like (laughs) i was never shown that when i was younger and you know like like most people i had to like fight through a lot of insecurities and not saying what was on my mind about sex and um, and just like figuring everything out in the dark metaphorically or literally, because um, it didn't feel like you could ask questions. So this is a, it seems like a really positive counterexample and I'm so glad I could be uh, part of it. It's, yeah, and it's like it's, I think it's bringing some people to hear my music for the first time who really like it and like want to hear more of it like that's not purely related to the show you know sure it's uh it's a blessing and we're supposed to keep doing it too
0: that's great that's exciting it's exciting it's sometimes it's um when i when i talk to artists and you throw your your art into the world and you kind of you're already thinking about your next project and you forget that you're maybe changing lives, right? Like you never know right now. Some, some teenager can be watching an episode, listening to your music, listening to the theme here, and you could be saving their lives. You can be changing their families forever. So, so thank you for doing that. Really. I think it means a lot to many people. That's right.
1: I I hope so. I mean, because that's how I'm a music fan. And I remember that it, how deeply it affects people because I just sit around all day listening to music and, like having it as a life preserver when I am like desperately need a change of mood in my life. Definitely. Um,
0: That's great, Ezra. All right. Well, you've been so generous with your time. Let me ask you one more question. Thank you so much, Ezra. Um, One of our celebrity residents here in Miami, in Miami Beach is Mr. Iggy Pop, who every time that he gets on TV now or every other time that I see him, he raves about, what are you hearing? Oh, I'm hearing Margot Price in country. I'm hearing Ezra, uh, you know, in punk, you got to hear Ezra. Your name, he name drops your name. I've heard it like five times. Really? Uh, I'm wondering, d- did you finally meet Iggy Pop? Like, can, can we set it up? How can we make this collaboration happen? <laughs> like, he's such a big fan of your music. Yeah.
1: Really, he is. I don't, I, I know that he, I only knew that he mentioned me like one time a few years ago on his radio show, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: he's a fan. I have it through sources that he's a big fan of Ezra Furman uh, and the, the punk. That I
1: mean, really, like one of those life changer musicians and songwriters and performers, like, um. He's he's been a guiding light since since I was a teenager, and uh, I don't know. But also, like, yeah, I'd love to meet him. I wouldn't be scared either, because uh, I pay attention to to his work, and yeah. uh, I don't know. Obviously. I like his style. I <laughs> I don't know. You you can if you talk to Iggy, let him know. I'm
0: Well we have probably, to we have he, to make this happen. Absolutely. I know, I
1: know. Like I've got a I've got a new uh song with no words yet. I, he could write the words. <laughs> that's
0: excellent that's excellent Ezra. i mean that's that, that's great you've given us some, some some great insight you've been generous generous with your time uh unfortunate circumstances of course we wish to were you know out rocking the world giving punk to the people and uh just kicking ass but you know i think i think you'll get there and uh you'll be both like we'll we'll be involved. and just just lucky that we got to talk to you Ezra thank you so much for your time
1: such a pleasure Thanks for talking with me.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Please
1: tell me if you uh, <laughs> you can get me in touch with Mr. <laughs> Jim Pop. Popper- with Mr.
0: Pop? All right. Anything I hear, I'll be sure to mention it to Sally. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Ezra. Take care, okay? Yeah. Bye-bye.